Chapter Eight of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, from Nightingales to Roast Beef, the British Sunday lunch which ensued was almost new to Amy in its plentitude of development. The child's clean lace pinafore, Mrs. Dan's smart but sober church frock, Mr. Dan's quiet suiting were quite in keeping with the solemnity of the occasion leisure and plenty only the beef was tough the yorkshire pudding not light the vegetables drowned in water the old ladies murmured and even complained mrs dan's calm indifference rebutted them mr dand ate very little and did not add his voice to the chorus of accusations of a certain mrs dawes to whom for some reason or other mrs dan seemed to cling she either chose to back her own choice of a cook or had herself no sense of taste. Amy judged the latter. She thought it went with the hostess's temperament. She was self-indulgent without being sensuous. Her egotism, combined with want of artistic perception, it was, which made her blind to the signs of dissatisfaction in others. And there was something about Dawes the cook which Amy would make it her business to know by and by. After this monumental meal, the participants, armed in country fashion with sedative books, each withdrew to her room. Miss Dand went to see to a sick dog. Amy was left alone for a moment with her host. "'This solid British comfort,' said he, "'isn't, I suppose, much in your line, nor is it in mine. I am almost a vegetarian. Come into the library and smoke?' "'I don't smoke.' "'I wish Dulce didn't.' but you may as well sit down. What do you think of this place? Beautiful. Turner did a drawing of it for my grandfather. Not this house, surely. No, this house is new. I built it. I used the old stones. You need not, therefore, consider me a Philistine. The house had sheltered the Dans and their vices, pleasant and otherwise, for hundreds of years. It was full of bad habits and preconceived ideas of immorality. It was insanitary, and not particularly good architecturally. Still, it was nice and old. Old! Old! That fetich of romanticism. You would not preserve a dustbin or a cloaca because it was Elizabethan or Merovingian. No, I am hopelessly imbued with scientific modern ideas, and I must have the benefits of civilization electric lighting and heating and encaustic tiles, the more so as my wife is a bad manager. If it wasn't for scientific ameliorations of her, we should all go to pieces. What do you think of the cook? She is a good roaster, but a bad boiler. Precisely. Now, Edith would never ask you that. She has no sense of taste. It is all the same to her what she eats so long as it is soft. Her teeth have been neglected." Now, I am a gastronome, a practical one. I can cook you an omelette, on the drawing-room table if need be. Or have you ever eaten trout caught by yourself, fresh out of the water, wrapped in paper and roasted on the river-bank, over some sticks? It sounds delicious, but I have not patience to fish. Women don't have, he replied, pleased. You must come some day and watch me. In that little dark secret stream that runs below the house, said Amy eagerly, where the slabs of rock lie half over the banks on either side, and seem to shut in and cover up the brown stream like eyelids? 
Have you been down there already? Yes, I am like a cat. I have to take in my domain thoroughly and prowl about before I settle down. But I say, this house is a long way off from doctors and post offices. Eighteen miles from Old Fort. It takes me exactly thirty-five minutes in the motor every morning. So, with the first toot of the horn, I shake you all off. Women, children, books, all the tent pins that peg me down to domesticity. Sail down the drive and completely alter the focus and lead the life of adventure from ten to six every day. That's what keeps me good-tempered. I thought you were in business. I make it adventure. You ought to understand that. You are a roving spirit, too. But you have not been here over one of my long absences as yet. I have slept, I should think, in every hotel in Europe in the service of my firm. I like travelling. I rest—where do you think I rest? In the Orient Express, or the Trans-Siberian Railway, and gather up my sinews for the next spring, for the next deal, or clever compromise. And all for money? said Amy. Yes, money. I love money, he said slowly. I don't mean the positive chink of gold, but the pride and glory of investments, the well-covered pages of bank books. I'll invest some for you, if you like. I have got none, said Amy shortly, and changed the conversation. There seemed no prospect of a break in the Sunday calm which had diffused itself over the house, so that it seemed as if in that big house no man waked but they. Mr. Johnson tarried for some reason or other. "'How well you read,' she remarked. "'You mean the lessons? Oh, with unction, I hope. I like playing on the not over-acute nervous chords of my fellow parishioners. It's only a trick. You—you, as you stand there, a little, convinced materialist, I could engage to impress you and make you cry with one sentence. I will.' one of the sentences from the opening of the church service. I often used to have to read them when I was a consul at Acre. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He was a good actor, that was all. Amy had tears in her eyes. He saw them. There you are. What is that text to you that I can so move you with it? I like to stir people's emotions, I admit, especially the sluggish emotions of Claude's. The ineptitude of the clergy vexes me. Once a week a certain mediocre orator is handsomely given the ear of a fair number of persons who are bound by their conventions to listen to him, and he should try to give their emotionality a sort of Turkish bath and induce a picturesque exhibition of natural paganism. He ought to be ashamed to let a single farmer go to sleep during his tenancy in the pulpit. What he has got to do is to stimulate the latent poetry in people's natures. Religion, to many, is but a resume of the sum of their poetical capacity, their only romantic outlet. The Bible is the countryman's Maeterlinck, the Baudelaire of the old maid of the cathedral city. He went on talking, slowly and deliberately, without taking any notice of Amy. She lay back in her armchair and listened to him without sense of responsibility, seeing plainly enough that for this sententious egotist she was merely the reeds, the desert air on which he chose to fling his wild words. But as your clergyman here is by no means inspired, 
I wonder why you trouble to go every Sunday, feeling as you do, she remarked idly. I want my poetical nature stimulated, and the simple church service does it for me. I enjoy going to church, and I like other people to enjoy it. My servants serve me better when they are churchgoers. The funny thing is that my wife, the only one of us who is truly, if unconsciously, religious, is the only one who grumbles at having to go. What are you looking at? Case G? It is only another binful of stimulants. By the way, I want a drink. Will you have one? No, thanks, said Amy. I don't think it is good drinking between meals. Just the time. It is never good for you, but if you will take stimulants, don't weaken their effect by diluting them with food. Nipping, said Amy dryly. You advocate that? I am against drinking in all its forms. So am I. But as it's all poison, take it neat if you do take it, and get the maximum effect with the smallest amount consumed. You don't want the effect, you say? Of course not. Why should you set up sclerosis and make connective tissue before your time? He put the case of spirits back without taking any, and as Mr. Johnson drifted in at that moment, Dan looked at Amy, and a pouting, chiselled smile flitted over his heavy face. "'Johnson shan't have any either,' said he. "'Johnson, we have got an Egeria. She will keep us all straight.' Amy did not like the glance which Mr. Johnson dealt her with his pale, inefficient eyes. End of chapter 8 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Lisa Reichert